right in the middle of the Bible, the largest chapter. And we'll look at Psalm 119, verse 93. And again, we're looking at the second part of the, just a two-part message uh, from last week and then today of reasons to read the Scripture. Why should I read the Bible? Well, we've been, look, we looked at four reasons last week. Let's look at four more today. And here we go. There's so many statements here. Let's just start with this one verse of verse 93. Psalm 119, verse 93, I'll read it the first time, the second time we'll read it together. Psalm 119, verse 93, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Let's read it together again. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. This verse reminds me of uh, my, um, my, my dad had a shop a body shop, and we were right next to a towing yard. Um, it's called Tri-City Auto Body and Towing, and Henry's Restorations was right next to it. They actually owned our property. We rented from them. Mom worked in the office of the towing place, and Dad and I ran the shop. And, um, and so I remember uh, often at a body shop or a towing yard, you have dead cars. You know, they're just dead batteries and stuff. And so, you know, we would... We would uh, Sometimes we would go over, if our jumper box wasn't that working that way, we'd have the small little jumper box, you know. It had the two um, cables, and it was connected to a, basically a, a, a battery on steroids. And so we had a little one. Sometimes if our little one wasn't working, it was old or whatever, we would go over to Tri-City Auto Body. They had a cool, they had a big one. It was on like a wheels. I mean, it was like this tall, had a handles on wheels, and they'd cart it around, you know. And they'd take that thing around. We'd borrow it. Come on over here. We've got to jump this car that, that uh, whose battery died because this guy left the door open or something, you know, and, or whatever. So we'd jump it, and sometimes I'd see you know, the guys that work at Tri-City, they'd go around their, their lot, and they would tote that thing around because they had to start up some car or whatever and move it. And, and man, that thing was powerful. You know, they put it on there, and it was, like, it was like five, I don't know how many batteries, a bunch of batteries in there or something. And they just hook it, you know, up to the battery and, and um, jump it. You know how it is, right? Who hasn't jumped their car? Who hasn't borrowed, you know, somebody's uh, jumper cables or have your own? It's so many, probably every family has. I think of that silly illustration when I look at that verse. The psalmist says, I'll never forget thy precepts. In other words, the, the writings of Scripture. For with them thou hast quickened me. You jump-started me. That's what he's saying. Brought me to life. The Bible's like a jumper box that you take around, and it's among many things the Bible is. It's a jumper box for the dead, drained parts of us that can quicken us again. You know, in the middle of this Bible is this, we said this last week, this big chapter, Psalm 119, and it's like a bunch of promotional statements that God put in His own book to give us the, a reason to read the rest of it. Just like I brought up some books last week and I showed you here, here's a promotional statement from this person about this book. Oh, this is a great read. This is a fantastic, best, best read on this subject I've ever had. Here's, um, this is a transforming book on such and such subject. You read the back of a book to get what other people say about the book or sometimes the inside first few pages you read those things because the author 
puts those in to give you a reason to read it if you're not interested already because of the cool cover, because of the title, because of the whatever. He'll put additional statements on the back or on the inside, promotional statements from people of authority or people who have read it that say, this is great, read this. The God did this. That's, a, a, that's the substance of Psalm 119. It's the psalmist says, this is awesome. This is what this did for me. This is what this did for me. This is what this did for me. It's all promotional statements right in the middle of the Bible to give, if we don't have one already, give us a reason to read the Bible. I read about a mega church that was really, I'm not going to say, it was really well known in the Midwest and, and there's been a lot of, there's been problems in it since, but it was a huge, and this was kind of a mega church guru, this pastor, um, and they did their own, um, they did their own internal, they're so big, it's kind of like they have to investigate themselves like they're, their, they're a city, I mean, they did their own internal um, auditing of the spiritual condition of their own people. So they had somebody from the outside, apparently, I don't know if the pastors could, would already have known this, apparently they did. They had somebody from, some people from the outside, some agency, some organization come in and basically start going through and trying to know the flock that's among them and trying to know the people and getting a pulse on, it was a huge church, it's a huge church, multi-campus sites and stuff, and, and getting to know the people and kind of the substance of, of where they're at in character, in understanding the Bible, in their doctrine, in their being established in faith, and they went through and just got a pulse, again, this is a third party, getting a pulse about where the church was, and they brought back the results to this pastor and his staff, and they were reading, and they thought, oh my goodness, we've got a lot of work to do. And one of the things they said in this, um, he says, and this is what the pastor said, we made a mistake. We should have done, this is his exact words, we made a mistake. What we should have done when people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility and become self-feeders. We should have gotten people, taught people, how to read their Bibles between the services. How to do the spiritual practices more aggressively on their own. Now, do you see what he's saying? He's saying that people love the, they love the show, they love the performance, they love the moment, they love the one or two hour time in the, in the middle of, in, on Sunday or the little quick meeting in the midweek, but they weren't feeding themselves in between service times. And he's basically saying we're, we're, we're weak. I think there's some philosophical problems that the pastor had anyways, but that's a side note. But he's saying we people need to be taught to be self-feeders. What if you only ate when your wife cooked? Some of you guys, like, man, you'd be pretty, well, some of it might help for a while, but, you know, lose a little weight, but oh, you wouldn't be doing too good if you only ate when you or your kids. What if you, I mean, young, young kids, I understand they depend on it. What if you only ate if somebody would cook for you? Well, you got to be a self-feeder sometimes. Some of you, you're almost too much. You're at night at 12 o'clock, like me sometimes, I want to make a sandwich. I'm eating the wrong time. The point is, is that we have to feed ourselves in life, and we have to feed ourselves from the Bible in between service times and Sundays. And, and that comes on a, the most practical way of doing that is what we call a devotional life, where you carve out a moment, most of the time it's best in the morning, to read some scripture. Some people do it another part of the day or at night. But carve out some time to read the Bible. 
So otherwise, I don't want to be this guy. I may, I can kind of get a little bit, as I read about this guy, be like, yeah, we're never, we would never be that way. Well, maybe we would be that way, even if we're only 70 member church. If I don't, if we don't have us as people reading our Bibles on our own, we got to be a self-feeder. Otherwise, in a few years, we're going to, we're just going to be weak and we're going to just feed on whatever happens in the moment, which is good to have the vocalized preaching and teaching. It has to be vocalized. God has ordained that that preaching should happen. But you have to feed yourself in between then. That's what I'm trying to do. Give me a reason to read the Scripture. Let's quickly review some of these other, the first points. Reasons to read. Number one, it's completely true. Well, I, you know, it's, it'd be, if, you, if the Bible wasn't true, then I guess it's just a little bit of entertainment, and I wouldn't even want to be reading it that often, if that, that. But the Bible, it says in Psalm 119, 160, Number one, it's completely true. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Now again, there's ways we can come out and and reinforce the fact that it's true. I'm not going to try to take the time to do that with apologetics to show that it's true. But let's just take the verse in and of itself. He says it's true. It is accurate. It is not fiction. God, when He speaks from the beginning of the time He speaks, He says it's all wrapped up. It is true from the beginning that He speaks. In other words, and whatever subject God speaks on, it's true. Whatever He calls you, it's true. Whatever He calls Himself, it's true. Whatever you think about you may or may not be true. Whatever you think about God may or may not be true. That's why it's, we need to stop saying, I've said this before, well, I think God is, I don't really care. Tell me what you th- or de- coming out from the Bible you think is. Tell me something that's rooted in the Scripture. Um, um, so thy word is true. What God speaks is true. What he speaks about you is true. What he speaks about himself is true. And so therefore, if I want to know about God, this is the best theology book. I like theology books. I have some of them. But I would say don't read a theology book until you've read all the way through the theology book. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? All right. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. How many have never been there? I'm not going to say my dad, you haven't? Well, yeah, remember when, no, dad didn't see it? Okay, damn. Okay, who else? All right, a few of you haven't been there. Okay, we're only four hours away or so, four and a half. Okay, so what we could do today is, you know, Nolan, did you say you weren't? Okay, so I could be like, Nolan, it's really cool. And I could start describing it. It's this big hole, you know, and I could try to describe it to him and show him pictures and, and all this stuff. He'd be like, yeah, 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 okay. You know, and I could I could do all that. Maybe Nolan would be maybe Nolan would like to get some books and read some about it and read scary stories about people that hiked in there, didn't bring enough water and died and and things like that and and or, or watch some IMAX film of them flying in there or whatever. And you can do all that. But at some point, there's nothing like just put that stuff down, put the books down, tell everybody to be quiet. You're gonna go look at it for yourself. Right? That's the best way to do it. And, and if you you and when you go to look at it, you're like, boy, I could look at, there's so many things to go around and look at. And that's how it is with God. Some people have spent, they have so many time, so much time they spent reading this book and that book and that book, and I'm not against learning that book and that book and that book about God and about this subject and about that subject and about all these different subjects. And in reality, they haven't gone right directly to God, what God says about God, what God says about that subject before you hear about some other guy say what God says about the subject. In other words, quit listening to what I say about the Grand Canyon. You go see the Grand Canyon. Quit saying just merely what I say about God. You go see God yourself because what he says is true. I might not say something that's true. 
He says, thy word is true. So that's one reason to read the Bible. It's true. Uh, thy Sanctify them through thy truth, Jesus says. Thy word is truth. You know what makes us unique, set apart, is the word of God. That's what sets you apart. Not being religious, not really being moral, but the word of God and faith in the God of the word. All right, number two, by way of review, it says that, uh, the, why read the Bible? It'll produce joy and praise. There's a, several scriptures we could look at, but I won't. I'll just remind you of verse 7. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. Learning God's word will produce the right kind of joy and the right kind of praise. So the psalmist says. Number three, we learned another reason to read the Bible is because it cleanses our way. Look at verse 9 of Psalm 119. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. How can a young man cleanse his way? He doesn't have to look very far. He probably has a Bible near him. Take heed to the word. Verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart. What does that do? That I might not sin against thee. Jesus said in John 15 verse 3 to, to, his, to us, to his disciples and by extension us, he says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Spiritually, I'm clean and I'm right by thinking, listening, understanding, processing, applying Jesus' words. That's what cleans me. That's what spiritually cleans me. You're not spiritually clean because you gain more knowledge. You're not spiritually clean because you identify more religiously with something. You're spiritually clean because you hear the Word of God and you do it and you keep doing that every day and you keep yourself spiritually clean. It cleanses our way. Number four, this was our last point last week. It counsels us. Verse 24. Why do they read the Bible? Because you need a counselor and I need one. And I have one. I can have one all the time. Verse 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. I need a counselor. I'm not that smart. Remember one year, there was just... I like, and I, and I still would do this, I try it almost every year. There's a, a, a nice a, a, a leadership conference in California. My father-in-law first went to it, and I learned about it in 1998. It's called Spiritual Leadership Conference at, at Lancaster Baptist Church. It's a great leadership conference for pastors and leaders, and I've, I've only been there four times in 17 years, but I've, as far as the leadership conference, and I used to try to, I want to go, and I, it's hard for me to get there each year. But I remember the first year, the first year we knew about it was 1998. My father-in-law was excited. He's like, hey, we're going to go to a leadership conference. It's really because my brother-in-law had already gone through a year of school there. And my father-in-law, was, he's our, he was my pastor at the time. He's like, we're going to go to a leadership conference. You want to go? And I was like, yeah. No, I can't. You know, and there's just family things and work and stuff like that. And man, I wanted to go. It was, you know, sound, preaching, good uh, types of churches there and good music and everything. And really good stuff, and so I just wasn't able to go, and I felt like, you know, and so he goes, and some other people, I knew some other Arizona, and it was, they went, and, and I felt, I had that one feeling, I thought I'd got over that feeling when I was a kid, you know, the one feeling that's like when everybody else gets to go somewhere, and you had to stay home, you know, I had that feeling of, of that, in that as a early, mid-20s guy, oh, man, I'm missing out. I want to go. I want to go to leadership concerts too. And I couldn't because I was hungry for some things. I was a youth pastor at the time, and I wanted to learn more, and I wanted to hear somebody preach at me and all this. And, and uh, I thought, oh, well. And I remember, I'll, I'll never forget, and it's more personal, and I won't even tell you all the details, but 
I never forget. Maybe I think God did this on purpose, not because he was against their leadership conference, but that week, I read my Bible, make it a habit. I remember that week, it was like there was a chapter, there was a passage, and God just dealt with me. Because I was it. I remember thinking, oh, they're all over at leadership conference. When I opened my Bible, God just met with me. And again, I, it's hard to explain that he's teed that. There was one chapter I just read like five, seven days in a row. I felt because every time I read it, that God was saying, yeah, and this and this and that. And it was like the Holy Spirit was really dealing with me on leadership issues. I wasn't even really necessarily looking for a leadership lesson. But when I read that week, I'll never forget that week of Bible reading in the middle of the summer of 1998. For one week, it was like God, was, he weaved and worked me over in a good way from one chapter. I read it again the next time. I kept getting something different. And he was preparing me as a dad, as a leader in the church currently, and as a future leader of the church eventually as the pastor. And I'm like, wow, I'll never forget that. His testimonies were my counselors. He counseled me. And in a way, I didn't miss out. That's what the Bible, he counsels us. It counsels us. What else? What else? Give me another reason. He'll counsel you. But give me another reason to read the Bible. Number five here. Let's get number five up. Verse 50. No. Verse 50. It comforts us. Comforts us. Look at verse 50. Um, this is my comfort and my affliction. Ice cream. Well, that helps. But anyways, this is my comfort in my, in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Look at verse 52. Again, the psalmist's promotional statements. I remember thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Look at verse 54. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. He's saying, man, I feel like a foreigner wherever I'm living. Do you know what helps me in this place? Thy statutes, thy words. Statutes is another statement about the God's principles and His words. Look at verse 92. Verse 92, the psalmist says, Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. It's what helped me survive, he says. I remember reading, I, I told you I'd tell you about this. This guy, Howard Rutledge, I, I was blessed reading this story. I'll share some of it with you if I could find it. He was a POW in Vietnam. So this was like almost 50 years ago, if not 50. And he was, uh, um, he was shot down. His plane was shot down over Vietnam. And he parachuted into a little village, immediately was captured and put in uh, confinement. And for the next seven years, Howard Rutledge, the shot down pilot, endured brutal treatment. His food was little more than a bowl of rotting soup with a glob of pig fat, skin, hair, and all. He endured uh, rats. He saw rats the size of cats and spiders as big as his fist that scurried around him in his confinement. He was frequently cold, alone, and tortured. He was sometimes shackled in excruciating positions and left for days in his own waste as carnivorous insects bored through his oozing sores. This is, and he wrote a book in the presence of mine enemies, which somebody wrote a book with the same title recently, and I don't know why, but it's not to be confused with that. How did he, 
And he tells how he survived, how he didn't lose his sanity. And the way he says he survived was drawing from, literally drawing from the Word of God that he had memorized and remembered primarily as a youth in a Southern Baptist church. He had neglected reading his Bible in the years leading up to that. He had neglected worship. But once he got into confinement, he says in his own words, the sights and sounds and smell of death were all around me. My hunger for spiritual food outdid my hunger for steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk to God and Christ and be in the church. But in Heartbreak Hotel, solitary confinement, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely, in the years leading up, neglected my spiritual dimension of my life. And so now it took prison to show me how empty my life is without God. So I had to go back in my mind, go back in my memory to those Sunday school days in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And if I couldn't have a Bible and a hymn book, I would try to rebuild them in my mind. I tried desperately to recall snatches of scriptures, sermons, gospel choruses from my childhood, hymns we sang at the church. And he goes on to describe on how he remembers recalling certain hymns and recalling certain things like that. And then he says, one day he had a fellow prisoner. They didn't get to talk a lot. He says, most of my fellow prisoners were also struggling to rediscover their faith to reconstruct workable value systems in such a torturous environment. Harry Jenkins was a fellow prisoner. He lived in a cell nearby me in my captivity. We would often use those priceless seconds of communication in a day to help one another recall scripture verses and stories. He said, one, one day I heard him whistle to get my attention. When the, so when the cell block was cleared, I waited for his communication, thinking it was going to be something important, some important news. His friend says, I got a new one. I, I don't know where it comes from or why I remember it, but it's a story about Ruth and Naomi. And then he went on to tell me about this ancient story of Ruth and how she followed Naomi into a new place that she wasn't used to in a new land, and yet she found God's presence and protection there. And he was excited to tell me that story he remembered. He said Harry's news was actually 2,000 years old. It may not seem important to prison life, but we lived off that story for days. Rebuilding it, thinking about what it meant, and applying God's ancient words to our predicament. <laughs> this is my comfort in my affliction, the guy could say. That's what he could say. I would have perished in my affliction, he would have said, unless thy law had been my delight. I should then have perished. Yep, it comforts us. And then on a similar note, number six, it, it quickens us, as we already mentioned. Verse 93, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. You've made me alive. You snapped me back to life. Defibulated, yeah. right? I don't know if that was the right way to say it. You have a defibrillator, jumper cables for the chest. Let's get verse... Um, 107, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. I, am, I don't know how, no, he, here's David, or maybe David, we don't know who it is. 
It doesn't say at the beginning of the chapter, this psalm, I'm afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord. Help me. Snap me out of this. Snap me out of this, according to thy word, he's saying. Again, Howard Rutledge, the POW, seven years in Vietnam, under torturous conditions. He and his fellow prisoner, uh, prisoner uh, uh, were trying to survive. And this is one of the things he says. He says, it wasn't just physical survival. It was surviving up here and not going crazy. He said, listen to what he says. I'll just kind of, I'll read some more of it. He says, okay, how I struggled to recall those scriptures and hymns. I'd spent my first 18 years in the Southern Baptist Sunday School, and I was amazed at how much I could recall. I had not seen the importance of memorizing verses from the Bible or learning gospel songs, but now when I needed them, it was too late. I never dreamed that I would spend almost seven years, five of them in solitary confinement, in a prison in North Vietnam or thinking that about how that one memorized verse could make the whole day bearable. One portion of a verse I didn't remember was thy word of a hid mine heart. How oft I wished I had really done that. To hide, worked, worked harder to hide God's word in my heart. I put my mind to work. Every day I then planned to accomplish certain tasks. I woke early, did my physical exercises, cleaned up as best as I could. Then I began a period of devotional prayer and meditation. I would pray, hum hymns silently, quote scripture, and think about what the verses meant to me. And then he concludes with this. Listen to this. He says, remember, we weren't playing games. The enemy knew the best way to break a man's resistance was to crush his spirit in a lonely cell. In other words... Some of our POWs, after being in solitary confinement, would just finally lay down in a fetal position and die. All of this talk of scriptures and hymns may seem boring to some, but it was the way we conquered our enemy and overcame the power of death around us. Now, let me just say this. If that was how he, in such a, if this is a POW, in a mentally, emotionally, physically torturous scenario, says, I basically overcome because I started to recall God's word in my heart and feed on that. And it quickened me and it comforted me and thinking on it helped me survive. If that's the way he conquered his affliction, how might we conquer our afflictions? Anybody heavier than this? No. Then I think... God's word is sufficient for this issue too. Of mine, mine seems so small compared to this. It's certainly and beyond sufficient. As we said last week, if the believing God's word is good enough to get me to heaven, it should be good enough to get me through my day and through my problem. And it's just now a matter of exploring it and knowing where he's saying on different angles of life. Yep, it quickened. Number, uh, number seven, it gives comprehension. This is really neat. You could say a lot about this. Verse 98 to 100, look what it says. It gives That is, it gives wisdom and understanding. Look what he says, the psalmist, Through thy commandments, thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy, not because he had more education, but he had the right teacher. For thy testimonies are my meditation. 
Look at verse 100. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Wow! He's saying, I have, he's, I don't think this is being arrogant. He talks about his enemies, his teachers, and the older people. He says, it, it, he's just making a statement of fact. I have a leg up on my enemies because I'm, 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 I'm getting counseled from God. I understand more than my teachers because they're not, they're thinking on other books. I'm soaked my mind on my testimonies on my meditation. And even the older people, I understand more than the ancients because they had the book I had, but I've soaking it in. It's given him an advantage. It gives him comprehension. Look at verse one third. Uh, yeah, no, 104. Through thy precepts, I get understanding. How do you get understanding? Through his precepts, through God's word. How do you understand yourself? Go to God. How do you understand this world a little better? Go to God. Again, we've made it. You can look, through this, look at this world through distorted glasses or God's glasses. How do you understand so many things in life? Now, God's not going to let us have 100% perfect knowledge of everything or even understand every verse, but it will improve it. I'll have the right worldview when I look at the world the way God sees it because God's way up here. He sees it accurately. We're way down here. We're lost in the jungle of men's philosophies. We don't know how to see the world. But when we go up and see the world the way God sees it, it's accurate. I have, through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. I read about Oprah Winfrey, which is, she's got some really odd religious angles she takes. And this was one where I read about her. She spent a weekend, she said one time, I think she wrote it in her magazine. And I didn't read the magazine. I read what somebody else kind of showed me about it. So um, she spent a weekend, she said, of spiritual silence. She took off, took, brought her yoga instructor with her to help her rediscover her center by the way, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not putting down anybody who wants to get away and just unplug. I'm not putting that down. But this is a different motive here. She re, she, so she gets away with the yoga instructor, helps her have a weekend of spiritual silence to help her rediscover her center. And then she came back and said this. This is what she said to her listeners. She says, I came back and I realized that our real power comes from knowing who we are and that, be, and that begins with looking inside ourselves in silence. You really need no leaders, no guides, just yourself. You have all your best answers. What you are trying to find is already there. Be still and know it. Now, the Bible says be still and know that I am God. Did you know that man's first duty, this is, I find Christians and non-Christians make this error. Man's first duty is not to find himself, but to find his master. Because you don't even know yourself, and I don't. Listen, I'm going to figure myself out. Go figure out where you can find God, which is not far away. And he'll sort that out. He'll sort that I mean, the, the, the most important issues, God's going to show you. Man's first duty is not to rediscover himself, but to discover God. Not to find himself, but to find his master. Who's your authority? Now square up to that, and a lot of other things will fall in place. Even the psalmist says, look at verse 73, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. God, you know me better than me. 
So give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. God is more positioned to give you understanding than you are positioned to give you understanding of yourself because he's the one who made you. God knows how to teach me. God knows how to reach me. And all that I have is not found inside myself in that sense. But it gives comprehension. We've mentioned about, you know, George Carver, Washington Carver, that was really neat about his discoveries of the peanut and a bunch of discoveries, and he credits God with that wisdom. All right. Reasons to read the Bible gives comprehension. And then number eight, the last point, is it conveys Christ. And this is the best part of the Bible. It conveys Jesus Christ. Now we're going to look at a verse 135. Look what it says here. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. A person's face is more personal. It's more than just hearing them or kind of seeing a shadow, but... Oh, make thy face. You get to God, know God more personally when your face is in the Scripture and you behold His face in that sense. But the, in the greatest face we can see in Scripture is Jesus. Why should I read the Bible? Because it tells us about the greatest person there ever was, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him anyways. You hear me say this, but I'm not going to tire of saying it. It's all about Him. And I'm not, that's just not my opinion. Jesus said, search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The apostle Peter said, to him give all the prophets witness. They're all talking about him. Don't get lost in the woods there. They're all talking about him. Even the Lord Jesus Christ himself, it's a beautiful instant that happened at the end of Luke. In Luke 24, he's walking with these two guys, and they don't know they're, they're talking. These two disciples don't know they're walking with Jesus. They let this stranger, Jesus, talk with, chat with them, and they're like, we can't figure this out. How come he, could, how come he died and was and buried, and now we don't know what happened, and we thought this was going to happen, and we thought this was this, and they're all confused. And then Jesus, being the guest that they didn't know who he was, hey, guys, dude, listen, hey, hey, isn't this what was supposed to happen? And so the two guys started listening to Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus. Wasn't this supposed to happen to this guy, Jesus of Nazareth? Isn't this what's supposed to happen to Messiah? Didn't it say in the prophets some of these things? And then the Bible says, Then uh, began, he began at Moses and all the prophets and began to expound from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, he can see himself best in there because it's him. He's like, no, don't you see Messiah right here when that... When that ram got caught in the thicket and Abraham was supposed to kill his son and there was a replacement? Don't you see Messiah here when that perfect offering that they had to give for in the, in, the, in the temple had to be a spotless lamb? There was nothing wrong with this Messiah, was there? No. He's like a spotless lamb. Yeah. He was like a lamb dumb before his shears. He didn't even open his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That, don't you see? That's what happened to him. And he went through the whole Bible trying to show them. It, it was, that's exactly. The Messiah is in the, is in the Old Testament. So these guys are thinking, yeah, that Jesus, that him. That was him. He's in the whole Bible. That was him. He was supposed to die. So that means he must be going to be rising from the dead. And then they split up. And then after a while, wait, that was him. Man, didn't our hearts burn within us when he walked with us and opened unto us the scripture. Wow, that was him. And so the point is, is that he, why read the Bible? Because it tells us about Jesus. It tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there. He's in the scripture. So a couple things. Even Jesus himself said six times in Matthew alone, he says, have you not read? Have you not read? Didn't you ever read? 
how that, and he, he said it six times. He asked the question, haven't you read? The Pharisees, religious, well acquainted with the, the routine of the religious day. And they came and they would ask him these bonehead questions, you know. Or the Sadducees, yeah, well, what if this guy marries, what if this lady marries five times? And then she goes to, then she goes off in the next life. Who's her husband now? Which, five, which of the fives can be her husband in the next life? He tried to have these trick questions, and Jesus said, didn't you even just read back there in what God said to Moses at the bush? That, and he, he constantly would put it back on, you're, you're, throwing, you're, you're off in your thinking. Didn't you read this? That would have corrected your thinking. You're off in not thinking there's a resurrection. Didn't you read that it talked about a resurrection here? And you're off in thinking, you know. And, and so Jesus says, have you not read? So have I not read? Have you read the Bible? Remember I told you this, um, I think earlier in the year, the lady, remember the, you know, the movie uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Like everybody loves that movie. My kids love it. It's like a timeless movie. Your kids or your grandkids, it's like all these people are going to keep loving it. It's a really neat movie. So the Zuzu, she the oldest or one of the daughters in that movie? One of the daughters in the movie of um, uh, George's kids, one of George's kids, I think her name was Zuzu. She had, he had several. That actress... Um, later on, um, that movie didn't have a lot of popularity, and then it started surging in popularity in like the 70s and 80s. Well, that actress was living in Kansas, and one day somebody knocked on her door or called her or something and said, hey, aren't you the little named, I don't remember this lady's name, hey, weren't you the actress in that movie, It's Wonderful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we come by for an interview sometime? Yeah, sure. So this, so this reporter goes to this lady who's now a grown lady, used to be a childhood actress with... with um, What's his name in there? And uh, George and, and so Jimmy Stewart. And so he comes and he wants to interview. Hey, what was it like working with Jimmy Stewart? Oh, yeah, it was pretty good. And, and uh, what was it like? And, she, and she's now, you know, probably in her 30s or 40s or whatever. And she's talking about it. And they're like, yeah, that was such a, this was a great movie. And, and, and so they interviewed her. And then when she was done with the interview, she says, you know, I think I need to go watch the movie. She'd never seen it. <laughs> she was in the movie. She knew Jimmy Stewart. She liked him. She'd never seen it for herself. And I think sometimes I think Christians are like that. Hey, you're kind of, you know the crowd, you know the routine, you know the, you know the Jesus, you know the... <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Did you ever read the book? That's what I'm saying. It's close. In other words, that movie was close, but it wasn't known. And so the Bible sometimes is close, but it's not. it needs to be known and thrived on. A couple more things. We'll wind this down. Deuteronomy 17, 18 to 20. It's interesting. I'll just mention it. Did you know what God said about kings, Israeli kings? I don't know if any of them ever did this. But God told Israel when he said, all right, Israel, when you get a king one day, he shouldn't do this. He should do this. He shouldn't do this. And one of the things he should do is when that king comes in, he needs to sit down and write himself his own hand. This is the truth. His own handwritten copy of this law. Now, that may have been... One book, like Deuteronomy, or it could have been the first five books. He says, God says, ye shall sit down and write him his own copy of this book of the law so that he would not, and I'm going to paraphrase the rest, so that he wouldn't go, go astray this way or go astray that way. And he's going to read in it himself also, write out his own handwritten copy so he can read out of his own handwritten copy. Don't pay the scribes to do it. You do it yourself. Write it out. And here's another reason why God said the king, when he come into office to write his own handwritten copy of the scriptures, was so that he would stay straight 
and he would stay humble. Because it says, so that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, thinking I'm better than you all. No, it's going to keep him down to earth and humble too as he leads people. Isn't that amazing? God wanted the people in power to be guided right. Now, all of us have a little bit of power. We have a little bit of responsibility. And what guides us? Our own personal time with God. God's Word. You may not have to. I think my father-in-law tried to start handwriting, handwriting his New Testament one time. I don't know if he got all the way through it. But the idea is to making it personal. So let's go back to this last verse here, or verse 119, or verse 93, the quickening. And we'll try to close here. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. So he's saying, huh, all right, I, how can I forget your scriptures, God? That's how, you, that's how you jumpstart me. That's how you snap me out of my issues. That's how you snap me to life. And there's another kind of quickening that's, the most important kind, and that is when a person realizes that they're lost in sin and Jesus is the Savior, there's a quickening that happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, the greatest snapping back to life is first of all coming to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's what gives true life. That's what awakens us. That's the beginning of the rest of your life. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Have you ever done that? The Bible says, if you will believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Do you believe that? Then thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and the mouth is with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're quickened and you're made new. So the most important thing is, I want, yeah, get in your Bible, but if you haven't even trusted Jesus as your Savior, you first need to meet the author and trust Him as your Savior.